0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, Mother Church invites us to honor the Eucharist, to honor their great mystery that is the body and blood of Christ, given to us in truth. The feast came as a result of a miracle that took place in the the 1200s, the 13th century. It was a miracle that uh, essentially a a priest offering Mass uh, the Eucharist transformed before his very eyes into literal flesh and began to bleed upon the altar. And rightly understanding that this was not normal, he stopped Mass, covered up the host, and ran to the bishop. Ultimately, it was understood that this was a divine invitation to faith. And the miracle warranted and and began a, a and the whole encouragement in life of the church. To celebrate a specific feast honoring the Eucharist. Because indeed we rejoice every, every time we celebrate Mass. We rejoice and we, and we recognize the glory of the Eucharist. It's the central mystery of what we celebrate here in this liturgy. It is a thing which everything points to the Eucharist. And yet to recognize the great importance of it. Was something that the church has given to us as members. That what we celebrate here, what we receive in Holy Communion, is not a sign, is not a symbol. It is truth. It is the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And it's a mystery. It's the third week we celebrate one of those particular mysteries of how God interacts with us. Two weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost, the recognition that the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles and remains in us by virtue of our baptism and in a mysterious way dwells in us. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, dwells in our soul in a way that we can't understand. Mystery. Last weekend we celebrated Trinity Sunday, recognizing the fact of the revelation of God something that we ourselves could not have arrived at by our own knowledge and study, no matter how long we might have had with the brightest of minds, that God is one, and yet he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How is three one and one three? It's a mystery. It's not something we can fully wrap our heads around. And today we have a third mystery, the Eucharist. How is it that God becomes present to us from what was bread and wine, and yet then, at a moment later, with the word of a priest, it becomes the flesh and blood of God. It is a mystery. Jesus himself recognizes as much in the gospel. We read from St. John's gospel today, the sixth chapter, the Bread of Life Discourse, where our blessed Lord and the, the fuller extract uh, of the of the scripture actually drives the point home even more. We just get a small portion of the of the story. But it's Jesus who is there after the feeding of the five thousand. Five thousand men, plus women and children, are fed by a few loaves and fish. A true miracle has taken place. And in the midst of this, the Lord brings them deeper into a greater miracle. That he would one day give. The bread there that day was a reminder of the manna that God had given. But then Jesus reminds them, I am the true bread from heaven. I myself. I will give my flesh for the life of the world. That's the bread that I will give. The Jews are confused about this. How is it that this man can do this? Jesus tells them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And even the term, whoever feeds on me. Very vivid imagery. We feed on Christ to consume him. And the people gathered around him have so many questions of how in their hearts. How is it that this man can say this? Who does he think he is first? How, how can he say that? Is he God? Yes. Right. And how is it that he will provide us food for himself? How is it that he, will, he, that he is calling us to eat himself, his flesh and his blood? Either one, he's a cannibal or he's calling us to be cannibals, and that's crazy. Secondly, if he's actually calling us to be cannibals, there's well over 5,000 people here. Jesus ain't that big a man. How is it, even on on a literal level, if you were to take him on that level, how is it that would happen? But even more so, as they recognize he's not calling them to become cannibals simply in the matter of well, we gotta spit him, cook him, and eat him now, but in the sense that he will provide later on down the road, I will provide my flesh for the life of the world. And how is that even possible? How is it possible? Jesus recognizes this in their hearts. Always the scriptures, you know. Jesus, he's always able to to look into the hearts, right? It's always a fascinating thing. He knows what they're saying in their hearts. But he doesn't even respond to the question of how. He simply says, Amen, amen, I say to you. And he presses in deeper. Anytime we hear the the amen, amen, that's, that's Jesus saying, I am being totally serious. This is important. Asterisk, exclamation points, big, bold letters. Pay attention to this. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's the fact that Jesus understands they don't understand how. Because they can't. Because we can't. 2,000 years later, we know that Jesus at the Last Supper instituted the Eucharist, and we can have great theological explanations for it, and we can have philosophical things that help us to kind of get a glimpse and understand some of the details. But in the end, I can no better explain to you how bread and wine becomes God's flesh and blood on this altar than the disciples did that first day when they heard it and were completely baffled by it. I don't know how, but it's true. that's what Jesus was calling his disciples to be, to be men of faith, women of faith, people who were able to understand that, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust your word because that's what ultimately happens. And and the, the reading that continues past what we read today, it says many of his disciples went away and left him that day. It was too much for them. They couldn't they couldn't hear that. That was too much. And Jesus turned and looked at the 12 and he said, are you going to lead me too? And the response is always, (laughs) it's not a lackluster and it's it's not a robust expression of faith. It's Lord, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. In other words, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand how you're doing this. And it sounds really absurd to me, but I trust you. I trust you. The Eucharist is a call to faith in the face of a mystery that cannot make sense to us. It's not something that we can reason ourselves to. We can try, but ultimately it demands of us faith. And if we have faith, if we take of it and eat of it, we will live. But just remember that the Eucharist is not magic. It's not like a magic pill that kind of just transforms us or a little spell that kind of comes over us and everything's everything's fine now right the eucharist is not magic it also depends in its efficacy and and its ability to change us it depends on us our second reading today was from saint paul's letter to the corinthians and i'm really glad the corinthians had trouble with their mass. I'm really glad that the Corinthians struggled in, in, in the, the reality of their communal celebration of the liturgy. Because St. Paul, if, if you look at the, the writings in the, in the New Testament, they're only responding to usually to difficulties that are happening in the community. Something bad's going on, let them get it right and clarify, a little help on that. Because if, if, if the Corinthians weren't struggling in their expression of how to live out the liturgy, how to celebrate the Mass as a community, we wouldn't have the words that St. That, that Paul wrote to them. Right? So St. Paul writes and he says, I see that you're having some struggles in your celebration of Mass. And you're gathering together as a Eucharistic community. Let's talk about that. The first reading, or the, the second reading, the part we read today, talks about the unity of things. He recognizes that in the early church there was a division. There were the people who had and the people who had not. The people who had came and brought and, and feasted for the meal. And the people who had not, that came and basically didn't have any food and nobody was sharing. And Paul is saying, hey, it's not acceptable where one body act like it. But then later on, he continues in that. In the next chapter, he continues to the same, uh, same Corinthian community, and he writes to encourage them to recognize also what they are celebrating and what it is that they receive, to recognize the Eucharist. This is from the 11th chapter to the Corinthians. St. Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread of or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak or ill and some have died. St. Paul is telling this very clearly. The Eucharist Is for everyone to receive, but there are at certain times persons who ought not to receive for the sake of their soul, for the sake of life. He encourages them to discern the body, to recognize that this is different than the bread we had earlier. This cup is different than the wine we share at ordinary meals. And he's inviting them to recognize that. Because if one does not recognize the body and blood of Christ, one eats and drinks judgment upon oneself. Because it's a lack of faith, a lack of openness to what Christ has in store. And even if one believes, there are certain times when one ought not to receive. Today we would describe it as being a mortal sin or living in such a manner that's not in keeping with the gospel truth, the revealed truth from Christ. If one's life, if one's spiritual state is not open to receiving the Eucharist, if we're not spiritually prepared, one ought not to receive, lest judgment come upon the soul. It's an important thing for us to hear this. The Eucharist has power. And dependent upon our faith... It can bring us good or it can bring us ill. I'll often consider the reality of medication. If I don't have a heart problem but I start taking heart medicine, think that's going to work out well for me? Probably not. Might have some complications with that. Might have some issues because it's not something that already is happening within me that needs a response to fix And as I've heard it before, Holy Communion, when we receive Holy Communion, we have a pre-existing condition of union with Christ already. Communion is the sign of the medicine to indicate that, to maintain that pre-existing condition of communion. If we eat and drink unworthily, it is to our condemnation. But if we eat and drink worthily, it is to our salvation. It is to our life. It is to grace. It is to peace. But again, it's not magic. It was St. Thomas himself, the one who composed the prayers for the Mass today. It was St. Thomas Aquinas who himself, in one, of his, in one of his writings, he responded on the, in, a, in a, a reflection on grace, on the life of God given to the soul. He said, grace is received according to the mode of the receiver, which is a really nice technical way of saying, God will give you grace as much as you're able to receive it. If we come with a thimble full of openness to receive what God desires to give to us, God will fill us to the full in our thimble. And if we come with a 5-gallon bucket or a 55-gallon drum, God will fill us to the full of our openness to receive what it is He has in store for us. So when we come to Holy Mass, if we come and our mind is elsewhere, if it's on the things that, we had, that happened before Mass or if it's on the things that happen after Mass, and we're not present to our blessed Lord, it shrinks what we are able to receive from Him. If we allow ourselves, if we allow our hearts to be elsewhere, we have receive less of the grace that Christ desires to give to us. It's not magic, but it is power. The Eucharist is life. If you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have eternal life. It's the promise of the Lord, and it's this that is the source of our hope, that Christ is faithful to us, that Christ desires to give us life, abundant life, The fullness of life. We have that in eternity as the promise given to us. But our blessed Lord wants to have us have life here too. It's not as if our our real life begins after we breathe our last. Our real life, the life that Christ desires for us, happened, started years ago. He wants us to have fullness of life. And the way by which we get it is the Eucharist. One of the people that I look up to and continue to have recourse to his writings and and reflections is Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Some of you may recall the, the great evangelist on TV, as well as a number of books that he's composed. Archbishop Sheen, from the beginning of his priesthood, had an intense love for the Eucharist. And he promised to the Lord that every single day of his priesthood, he would spend a full hour, 60 minutes, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament If the Lord will allow it. And every day, for one hour at least, Fulton Sheen, Father Sheen, spent an hour in the presence of the Lord. He's got some great stories of ways that didn't work out so well, where he had to spend an hour in the rain outside the church, or an hour in the snow, or he went in to go pray and then got locked into the church and had to slide out of a coal chute uh, to be able to get back out of the church. All kinds of fascinating ways that the Lord allowed him to to draw close and experience a little taste of the cross. But it was that daily hour that made Fulton Sheen a man of power, spiritual power. It was spending time in the presence of the Eucharist that allowed Archbishop Sheen to sit down on an airplane next to someone who was not Catholic, and even anti-Catholic sometimes, and by the time they got to their two-hour flight elsewhere, they were ready to go to RCIA. It was our blessed Lord, working through Archbishop Sheen, that was able to take Archbishop Sheen and to walk with a woman who had a deep, a deep fear of confession, and a reluctance to practice the faith in any sort of way, who was living everything of worldliness, and was able to simply shove her into the confessional Hear her confession. She was converted on the spot, and it became a nun within months. Gave her entire life to Christ. This, and countless other things, by which Archbishop Sheen was able to touch hearts at a moment with the power of God, and he knew every single bit of it came from the Eucharist. It wasn't his own abilities. It was Christ. It was Christ. Anything that you have in your life that is a difficulty, any question you are struggling with, any unrest in your soul, anything that resembles doubt, despair, anxiety, fear, loneliness, anger, coldness, confusion, any of it, the answer is Christ. To every trial of the soul the answer is Christ the Eucharist to come and to be in his presence and I don't say this just as an academic knowledge I know because all of those things in those moments of difficulty for myself when I go before our Blessed Lord in the sacrament when I go and sit in the church when I sit in the chapel when I go and, and find the Blessed Sacrament wherever I happen, may, may happen to be if I'm not home to sit in His presence for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour without fail something changes in me without fail if I'm open the Eucharist is power. The Eucharist is life, and it is an immense mystery to us. I can't explain to you how it happens. I can't explain to you any of the whys or the whats or anything else that you might want to know, and I want to know as well. <laughs> but I can tell you this that if you receive Him worthily, you will have life. If you spend time in His presence, You will have life in this world, too. So, my brothers and sisters, let us draw close to him. That we might rejoice one day to have that eternal life that is promised to us, but that we might experience the fullness of joy, even here and now, as a foretaste. Let us discern well the body of Christ on this altar. That we might be able to eat and live.